I can't help it. The way that song came to be, as you may know, my friend Andy, who edited the video version of this show back 12 years ago, he had an app on his phone that just made auto-tune and background music for you. And he chose that one. He's just like, <laughs> just sing into it. I'm like, okay. I can't help it. And went, I can't. And like, uh, it, uh, changed all the pitch so, on me. So the song itself was created by an app? Yep. <laughs> on a phone that no longer exists. A, the wow. app doesn't exist. This but, is some secret intel you know. Yeah, you can't get that song any other way now. I couldn't do you recreate know the, that. Do you know the app? No. He has no idea. This was like 2010, 2011. That's a- so awesome. I'm going to open up the show in the regular way. Okay. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Talking to Women About Video Games. I'm joined again by Tanya. Hello. Hi, Tanya. Thanks for being here. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We have tons of guests this episode. Our lucky life happened hard this week. Oh. I recorded with two guests, and then two of our regular guests recorded with each other for a special segment making four guests total. And I am totally not involved with one of those segments, which is so fun for me. You know, one of my dreams was for this show to eventually remove me from the show. I don't know that. For it to just be women talking to women about video games. No men allowed. Get get the men out. Yeah. Men. Ugh. It's we're, like get the let out, but get the men out instead. Yeah, remove them. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I am a good man in my mind, and I hope it's true in real life, too. I have nothing against men in general you're like this feels awful coming out of my own mouth it's hard to say yeah but men is a concept men who are like i'm gonna be a man i almost always don't like that man have i ever liked a man who's like i'm gonna be a man kevin conroy who we've lost so sad died of cancer age 66 voice of batman on the animated series multiple video games and other things he had a real concept of being a good person and then for him, that included being a man, which is you're flawed, you're human, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to hurt, you're damaged. It's not going to be easy, but still try to be a good person. And mm. I guess that's the theme for this episode. Yeah. Dedicated to Kevin Conroy. How can you be a good person in the face of complications, miscommunications, struggles? How do you still be kind and good and fight for what's right, even when it's pretty hard and sometimes scary? Oh, that's a very good question. I don't know. Should I answer? Yes, please. Do. Who was it that said we're not the sum of our mistakes or something? I don't know, but I agree. Yeah. I mean, we all fuck up, Mm -hmm. but it's what we do with those fuck ups that matters. Ah, that's true. And how, I think, hard we try to do the right thing even after we make mistakes. And making mistakes isn't always all that bad. I mean, look at Elon Musk. (laughs) <laughs> it's very he makes He makes some mistakes and he's killing it. And he's his, not. He's loving life. <laughs> he is enjoying himself. That's a good point. <laughs> but I, I'm sorry. I, 
I went way off the rails. No, he no, actually no. is a bad person. Yeah, I, he, not only that, but he is not learning from his mistakes. He seems to be doubling down. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah, it, it's tough. And and how do you call him out? That's what I've been. You know, I call him out regularly. He does not seem to be taking my wise words to heart. He recently posted uh, on Twitter a picture that says "Game Over." Hashtag Game Over. And he huh. says, this is what we have in the Twitter HQ right now, haha, implying like, I know I'm destroying Twitter. And it's funny. And I just responded like, it's not okay. Just because you know you're screwing up doesn't mean you should just screw up. He didn't respond. Anyway, so that's been my luck with Elon Musk. We have Kaiju and Tonberry who are going to take their luck at trying to figure out what's wrong with a, a game that's supposed to be wonderful. And Kaiju, just she's just the sweetest person. You're going to see her struggle to be mean but be nice at the same time. It's I just, don't think she can be mean. I don't mean. think she can be either. She's just a heart of gold. And that Tonberry, heart of trouble. I love it. It's the kind of trouble I love from that <laughs> yeah, sweet that, redneck Tonberry. What's yeah. Hey, hey, Kai, have you ever... Have you ever pissed off a fruit bat? I can't say I have. I did. I did the other day. I found out they make a pretty fantastic noise if you try to take the fruit away. I don't know. I thought she was done munching on that fruit, and then she just sort of stopped with, like, two-thirds of a banana hanging out of her mouth. So I tried to, like, pull it away because it looked kind of uncomfortable. And then she just... She just made this noise at me like, <laughs> I ran away. So that was my weekend. <laughs> that sounds like a fun weekend. <laughs> eh, six out of ten. You know, that's kind of what I would give the current game that I'm playing. Six out of ten. Is that a fact? It is a fact. I'm going to steal your shtick here for a minute, Tonberry, if you don't mind. I mean... I'm still kind of rattled from that fruit bat incident from a couple hours ago. So, you know what? Why don't you why don't you take over? Why don't you have a grudge this time? Okay. I think I can do this. I'm not really one who holds grudges, so this is a little hard for me. I have faith in you. Harness <laughs> your anger. Make it useful. Okay, okay. I'll try. So, you know how I play a lot of farming sims? I do now. Most of the video games that I play are farming sims, and the current game I'm playing is, lo and behold, a farming sim. All right. But my grudge about this one today is that it's... Uh, oh, there's a couple of grudges. I have a couple of grudges about it. I'm kind of frustrated. You're kind of frustrated. Yep. That's your righteous indignation? <laughs> oh, where's your, where's your fucking rage? I think I used it all up. Must suck not having an infinite wellspring of fury. I play farming sims because it keeps the rage at bay. It's just calming. Except for this one. I don't wanna I don't wanna name it. Because I don't really think it's bad, but I got a grudge with it. I'm gonna start by saying these grudges that I have with this video game might not be there in a few months because it is in early access, and I recognize that it is in early access. But some of these grudges feel like they're way more 
substantial than just me complaining about a game that's in early access. Does that make sense? A grudge doesn't need to be substantial. <laughs> okay, so my grudge is that this game is too fucking big. God, don't I know it. I've been dealing with that with every single goddamn video game I play. Every single one wants to fucking monopolize my free time. You know, I have I have more free time than the average human being. I still don't like it when a video game demands that I learn all of the ins and outs of a of a of a big giant fucking world. At least make your goddamn world interesting. And besides that, why would you make a farming simulator too big? Don't those games have, like, time mechanics of their own? You'd want to go everywhere and do as much as you can in the span of a, of a, of a, of a day in the game, wouldn't you? Yeah. Why would they make yeah. that more difficult? Yeah. It's counterintuitive and fucking stupid. That's exactly it. So this game that I'm playing took basically all of Stardew Valley. So there's the mining, the fishing, and the farming, and the ranching, so you can have animals and stuff. But then they also took everything from Animal Crossing, where there's the fishing and the diving, and there's fruit, and I have no idea where to get the fruit trees and stuff yet. There's a museum that wants all of your bug catching, all of your fish, all of the fish that you can catch when you're diving, so like starfish and things like that, plus artifacts that you get from the mines. Then there's a romance option because it is a farming sim, you get to marry a townsfolk, but I can't tell you how many romanceable NPCs there are because there's 70 NPCs total in this little town. Nope. Nope, that's too many. Right? That's too many. Right? That's too many. Right? I don't like it. You know how many NPCs there were in the one fucking farm and sim I ever played? How many? Like 20 tops. So everything I know about farm and sims just goes back to Harvest Moon 64. That game was the perfect size. There's a little forest. There's your farm. There's some other lady's fucking farm. There's a beach for some reason. There's the town and a racetrack. I think that's it. Don't need to make it bigger than that. So this one, this one has the town that you're on, and there's 70 people, apparently. I haven't counted all of them, but supposedly there's 70 NPCs. And there's a beach, and there's a restaurant, and then there's an outdoor cafe. There's the blacksmith, and there's three blacksmiths. That's not necessary. And then there's the carpenter. And they're a husband and wife duo, and they also have a kid. Then there's, like, the adventurer guys. There's at least two of them. And then there's the old man who runs the hot spring. And then there's the mayor. And then there's this other old lady, and she's got at least two kids. She might have five. I don't know. And then there's some other married people, and they've got kids. And then there's the rich people who have the vineyard that is just there for no reason because you can't do anything with it, except they're just rich and at the top of the map. And they've got at least one kid, but like adult children, you know, like the family, they're, they're adults. This one is anyway. And I think that one person is a romanceable NPC. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There's so many, there's so many. And then each day in the farm sim, it's got a time mechanic. So you're playing a day, right? And you can't stay out past midnight. I think I have no idea. I have no idea. In Stardew Valley, you cannot stay out past 2 a.m. 
as soon as the clock hits two, you pass out, regardless of how much energy you have. But this one, I can't tell. I think it only goes till one. So if you're out past midnight, the clock starts flashing red and then you pass out. I'm like, but nobody, there's nobody to tell me that. There's no tutorials to tell me what I'm doing. They drop you on this island. It starts out exactly the same as every other farming sim, but you have like no tutorial. <laughs> And it's so fucking big. It's too big. It's too big. It's too big. There's not enough time. There's not enough time in a day. It's stressful. <laughs> so it's the exact opposite of what a farm and sim is ought to be. Kinda. And yet, I've been playing it because I paid money for it. And I've been waiting for this one because it was a Kickstarter. And I was given the Kickstarter money as a gift last year. And so I've been waiting for this game for a year, and so I've been playing it almost an entire year. I'm in the middle of winter in the game. It's the middle of winter here, too. There's like a foot of snow on the ground and it's freezing. But <laughs> I don't think I'm having a good time. Well, then, pack it in. Pack it in! <laughs> it, it, I, it's bizarre. Because it should work. Because it's all the good things. It's all the things that you want that somebody who plays as many farming sims as I do. It's everything, all the good parts. But it's... It's all of them. It's all of them. It's all of the good things. And here's the thing. You know what I like? I like cheeseburgers. You know what I don't like? A hundred cheeseburgers. You ever see a hundred cheeseburgers in one place? I have. It's gross. Stacked up all on top of each other. The ones at the bottom have already started to desiccate a little bit. It ain't good. Yeah, this is bad. Hmm. So what you're telling me is that I should pack it in, stop playing it if I'm not having a good time, because it's too much of a good thing. That is absolutely correct. There is such a thing as too many cheeseburgers or too much sweet tea. That's why I started drinking this other stuff. Ugh. It's all right, but now I'm tired. I don't think even I've ever been as angry as that bat was. Well, you know what, Tonberry? Thank you for hanging out with me tonight. This has been wonderful. And thank you for letting me vent a little bit and, and talk about my grudge with this farming sim that I've been playing. The fact that you won't name it is probably for the best. Because I would have kicked that game's ass by now. You know what's kind of messed up, though? Mm hmm I think I'm going to go play it some more. <laughs> I don't understand why people do what they do. That might be because you are a Tonberry. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm going to go to sleep. Okay. Have a good night, Tonberry. Thanks for hanging out with me. So, Kaiju struggling to be negative because she's not always positive and nobody is. We're all human. We all don't like things sometimes. But I thought it was just so endearing how she did not want to name the game of the developer because she didn't want to, like, call them out or start mm. a fight or get anyone to feel negatively about them. She just wanted to share her feelings and her thoughts without causing an actual real-life conflict. And I'm actually going to take some 
advice from her, though she did not know she was giving it to me, when I describe my, one of the most stressful things that had happened to me in the past couple of weeks. I'm going to get to that later in the show. Oh. But before that, one of the most interesting things that happened to me when figuring out, like, what is wrong with people? And how do I get them to stop being so bad? This guy, Palmer Lucky, his, his name is literally Lucky. His last name is Lucky, spelled L-U-C-K-E-Y. I'm calling him out. I'm calling mm. out Palmer Lucky and his pals, I guess. He created a VR headset that if you die in the game... You die in real life, too? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. He did that. He. <laughs> no, wait a minute. No. Yes, a minute. Yes. He did that. Palmer Lucky did it. Does it shoot you in the brain? It's got explosives. It explodes your head. This is, this is what the fuck? You nobody you and, can't get any repeat buyers on that product. And this is the, the the struggle. So you know, Kevin Conroy died. It is sad, and Batman is popular. I still don't totally understand why. I love Batman, but the concept makes no sense. What it is about, I think, is being someone who's damaged and weird. Trying to get other damaged and weird people to not be damaged, weird, and bad. Right. And trying to meet them on their level because they're all weirdos. The Riddler, Joker, Batman, Catwoman. The list goes on. Why are they doing that? There's space for all of us. Yeah. He's looking at these people and being like, stop being awful. I'm weird too. But you are awful and weird and weird and awful. And that's how I feel about Palmer Lucky. I want to Batman him so bad. He doesn't realize he's the villain. When he made the... How how could he think of himself as anything but? Exactly. But the Joker doesn't think of himself as the bad guy. He's like, oh, chaos is awesome. He Uh." made one VR headset with explosives and said, look at me, I did this. So I'll give you the backstory in Palmer. Yeah, because this is He was a VR-loving young man. I read the book about him. History of the Future, I think. Mm. It's pretty good. It's a big, thick book. I read it for review, and then I interviewed the author for Nintendo Force. Name dropping. So he was like, poor kid, summed up a lot of money, loved VR, loved trying to innovate with tech, ate a lot of burritos, drank a lot of energy drinks, didn't seem to like care about people that much, but loved VR. Made a company, I think it's called Oculus. They got bought by Facebook because Facebook thought, oh, VR is going to be the next big thing. Gave him a ton of money. Oculus never went anywhere. And then since then, he's been doing stuff like this. He was trying to build VR that could make sure people don't climb over the border wall and like stop them. Who knows, maybe with explosives with their head, with the way his brain's been working lately. He did a lot of political stuff people weren't such a fan of. So this is where he's at now. He clearly thinks he's the good, fun guy who's just, like, making something interesting. But you're making something that will kill what? people. And what does that say about you? Like, you gotta, you gotta check yourself. Did he make one? Is he he trying- made one. And he's like... This will be the only one I make, but I'm sure others will make more. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. No, it's not. No, that's like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> it's like it's like a horror movie, actually. Yeah. Actually, that would be a good horror movie. That that movie has been made. I'm, oh, I'm damn it. Yeah, yeah. That happens a lot. But uh, it doesn't need to be real life. Just because you saw stuff in movies and because it's like, wow, that's intense doesn't mean it's actually good. And people learning to notice if they suck or not 
myself included, hopefully I'm noticing, but uh, it's hard to say. That's why I'm so happy I have people like you in my life, Tanya, who can tell me. Oh. When I make mistakes, you, uh, you're able to let me know. You may be telling me after we record this podcast, like, eh, a little... A little much on that uh, VR killing <laughs> machine, Jonathan, this time. Yeah, that's right. And yet a lot of people love that Palmer Lucky. That one guy wrote a whole book about him. On that topic, why don't we kick it over to a new <laughs> new guest? You're booping. Kim. Kim? Kim. Kim. Kim Spirit. Kim Spirit the Wrestler who wrestled my dear friend, Stephanie Sterling. Oh, very fun. We're going to talk to Kim about wrestling and video games and heel face turns, cafabe, so much wrestling you're about to learn about right now from Kim Spirit. I can't wait. So I'm here with Kim Spirit Sarugi. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, it's just Kim Spirit. I like Disco Elysium a lot. So instead of Kim Kitsuragi, it's Kim Spirit Sarugi. Yeah, I, I knew that your wrestling name was Kim Spirit, but I thought you were fully embodying Spirit Sarugi, not Rugi. I was thinking of Mitsurugi from the Soul Calibur series, Shining Souls That's... and Swords. But it's Kim Spirit, the professional wrestler. It's you. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty amazing to be you. You have a you have a voice that sounds as though you want to help me. You have a voice that sounds like you have compassion, innocence, but also the capacity for mischief. And yet you also have a body that beats up bodies, other bodies sometimes. Is this all correct? Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> so there's times when you get in the ring with another person. And yeah, you, you gotta slam them. Yeah, you, you gotta jam down on them and slam the body down. Is that right? Yeah, you gotta give them what for sometimes. <laughs> you don't uh, sound like you what for anyone. You sound, I mean this in the best possible way, but you never know when you're gonna be offensive. You sound like you may come down from the heavens like a spirit and be like, hey, just wanted to lend a hand. How's everyone doing? You know, I can't picture you pummeling and crushing me but you could and you would if that was the contest you were in it's, this is all correct right no, it's basically how i make my way to the ring i just come out i'm like waving i'm like i literally say hello to everyone as i like high five them and then i get in the ring and the bell rings and sometimes i'll toy with my opponent i'll do some haha shit or like i'll just lay into them like <laughs> Sometimes I get that like Hulk out strength or whatever, like oh the adrenaline rush. Yeah. Whoa. And and who's the who's the biggest strongest? We are, we'll talk about video games later. I promise. Who's the biggest person you think you've ever wrestled? And how do you how did you beat them? Let's see. Biggest person. Have you wrestled my old friend Stephanie, the commander? I've wrestled Stephanie? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, Stephanie's so did, not yeah. small. No, definitely not. Actually, yeah, Stephanie is one of the tallest people I know. I yeah, Steph is which tall. Is, I didn't realize it like before I met them. Oh, it was just shocking. <laughs> I <feel> like... <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I uh, walked around with Steph at PAX one year, and I had to look up 
for all of our conversations as we're strolling around. And then we had a very infamous lunch that I'm not going to recant now. But how did you approach taking on Stephanie Sterling in the ring? How do you how do you even contemplate taking on somebody of that strength and that size? Uh, I was just super excited, too. I've been a fan of theirs for a while. Their editor, Justin, we became mutuals on Twitter like years and years ago. Mm. And one day it was like a couple years after I became a wrestler and found out about like Stardust. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I just I went into Justin's DMs and I'm like, I don't know the appropriate way to ask this, but I want to wrestle Sterling. <laughs> and uh, I think Justin passed that along. And uh, this was in Philadelphia, if I remember correctly. I think it was right before they moved Ah, because they were still coming up for rise, like to the Pittsburgh area. It's uh, not super far, but also not super close to where I'm from. But Mm -hmm. I was willing to make the the trek. But then like a few months later, yeah, uh, they moved up to Philly. And I was like, oh, man, we are just that much closer to like us doing that. So So great. And uh, you're a fan of Steph's in part, I'm guessing, because of Stephanie's video game coverage. You've played video games for a bit, too. Can you tell me, what are the similarities and the differences about what the appeal is for you between wrestling and playing video games? Definitely the role-playing aspect. Mm. Um, I love being a character. Like, on top of regular wrestling as Kimberly Spirit which is just my personality turned up to 11. I do cosplay pro wrestling. So I get to wrestle as like Harley Quinn or Isabel or Sheik from Legend of Zelda. And I get to bring those characters to life. Amazing. And I get to, you know, basically play as them. This didn't exist when I was a youth. When I was in my teens, there was, geez, pro wrestling on the NES where you could be Amazon and fighter Hayabusa and Starman. That's as wild as as that got. There was muscle. I don't know if you about muscle, but there was little pink guys. I think it's called Kanuku Man in, in Japan. It was uh, like a fantasy superhero-ish wrestling league, but it was very hard to really get into because it was complicated and not very deep at the same time. <laughs> there was no Isabel wrestlers. There was no Harley Quinn was barely even on the map, let alone <laughs> wrestling. Uh, how do you feel that this whole confluence of the nerd culture, I guess you could call it, with the wrestling culture has come to be, and you're a part of it, and, and why do you think it's working? Why do you think people are loving it the way they do? I feel like that a lot of different hobbies and interests converge. Like there's pro wrestling, there's comics and video games, there's horror movies. And like heavy metal, I feel like the typical pro wrestling fan is like into all of those things. Huh. Um, or at least I know a ton of people who are like, those are, that's where all their interests overlap. And as for like how people get into it, like is very much a spectacle. Like mm-hmm. I know back when they had like pyros and stuff like that, like when people would enter, there's the entrance music, there's the bright clothing, there's just these over-the-top characters. And with cosplay wrestling, like the audience already has invested in these characters. They know who they are. And the way the characters come to life, like, you know, sometimes we'll have a character that's like, you know, we have faces and heels. Is Isabel a face or a heel? Oh, a face for sure. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Isabel's a face. Harley is like, Harley's a bit of a tweener, mm. which is like uh, a face that can do heal things, but it won't make the crowd hate you. Oh, interesting. Um, was the rock a tweener? He was think pretty, so? pretty sassy. He, he would treat people with disrespect, and yet people saw him as the underdog for a little while there. Yeah. When I think of tweeners, I think of Eddie Guerrero, first oh, and foremost. Sure. Uh, yeah. His whole thing was lie, cheat, and steal, and people loved it. <laughs> like, he just made it fun. Mm. You're shedding so much interesting light on things. I'm having my own guesses. I want to run by you. Do you think that one of the things that combines wrestling, games, comics, is the need to be able to embrace a certain suspension of disbelief. Like you're talking about Isabel and Harley Quinn, like they're real. Like, yeah, you know, when <laughs> Isabel gets in there. She's a face. Everyone's looking at her thinking she's our little sweetheart. You're not saying people are looking at a woman in a dog costume and thinking, why is that woman in a dog, <laughs> dog costume? That's like, you know, when I was growing up with wrestling, no one knew it was staged or rehearsed. No one knew for sure. People still treated it like oh, this is serious business. And thankfully, the the cat is thoroughly out of the bag now. And everyone who gets into wrestling decides to suspend disbelief with these storylines that are like not the English patient. Like it's not something that people who really needs like, oh, serious, believable drama to be able to, to absorb, to get into this stuff. You need to have a vivid imagination and bring that imagination to it. So... Or am I off track? What do you what do you think of that idea of one of the things they all have in common? I think that's one of them, definitely, that they have in common. Because, like, I can think of a lot of things you'd have to suspend your disbelief for with, like, video games and mm -hmm. comics. I mean, for God's sake, in video games, almost all of them have a double jump. <laughs> There's no double jumping in real life. Um, and yet we just take that as part of the language of the medium and... It doesn't take me out of a game. I was playing Bayonetta 3 for a while yesterday, and you're literally just levitating in the air half the time, turning into giant spiders and stuff like that. But uh, not for one minute did I be like, this is too silly. I'm not. The difference, though, is when I'm playing Bayonetta and moving my hands around, I'm not actually physically jumping in the air and, and drop kicking someone like you do. Why do you think you chose to actually take this? dream the fantasy of of being a character and 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 getting in a fight you didn't just do it in games you did it for real why did you choose to take that extra step it's a lot more painful and difficult as you as you may know to actually do it yeah it's something i admired since i was a kid um it's something i've wanted to do since i was a kid like when i see the crowds cheering and they get to come out to their awesome music some of them dance some of them do poses like their superhero stuff like i wanted all of that like mm. i've always wanted to be an entertainer of some sort and i'm very much a dabbler like i do anything i can if it can entertain people like i like writing i like streaming i like wrestling like I like attention. <laughs> I, I'm I'm loving it. I'm I'm on the edge of my seat, and I'm also for me as a spectator. There's a huge disconnect between like I like to write, I like to stream, I like to get on the turnbuckle, jump <laughs> twenty feet in the air, elbow to the head. Were you an athlete in high school? Did you like to to? Do you have a lot of just a lot of physical energy that you wanted to get out? I'm so curious how you took the leap from as so many of us do 
watching wrestlers, loving the the pomp, the camp, the the showmanship, the showwomanship, the 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 excitement. But I I did actually I didn't mean to make this about me. I wrestled very briefly, but for something called Kaiju Big Battle, where we all dressed as giant monsters. And they were like padded suits a lot of the time. So we never, I didn't ever actually have to get on the, the turnbuckle and jump down and slam somebody. You took those steps. So I'm, I just can't help but want to know more about like the first time you wrestled and what made you think I'm going to keep doing this, even though the beatings and all that, like how did, how did that process work for you? So I was very athletic in like middle school and high school. I was serious about athleticism and working out and stuff because I wanted to be in shape because I was going to pursue professional wrestling. Mm. And then at some point, like probably in like early high school, I just thought it was a pipe dream. I was Mm. like, well, I'm never going to be this enough or that enough to like work for WWE. And at that time, I didn't know about like the independent wrestling scene. And there really wasn't a whole lot at least none that I knew of, like Mm -hmm. WWE was basically the only show in town and Mm -hmm. Ohio Valley wrestling was like, that was basically their performance center before they got called up to the main roster. Mm -hmm. And it was just all too like far away for me. I was even looking at like the only wrestling school I knew of at the time in New Jersey was uh, the monster factory. And my parents weren't going to give me money to get lessons there. My parents weren't going to drive me there. Uh, sure. They even now that I'm wrestling, they don't, they don't like that. I wrestle, but like, uh, yeah, it, I, it's not a, not a life that I think a lot of parents, especially ones even older than me can, can envision being safe and profitable and fun for their kids. Yeah. You know, it's probably difficult for, well, I already know it's difficult for parents to see their child get kicked in the face. Because my dad has seen me get kicked in the face. Um, But yeah, I basically, I hung up the dream in high school. And I was like, oh, go to college, whatever. Mm. So, and I would watch wrestling still. I would play the games. But skip, skip, skip. I'm 27 years old. And my aunt is dating a professional wrestler. And they all invite us to one of their shows. And it was a small show. You know, like 20, 30 people showed up mm-hmm. and all the wrestlers, most of the wrestlers were old and out of shape. And I got that sudden like, oh, I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> this is an attainable dream now. I can train to wrestle and I can do it in front of 30 people against old people <laughs> or whatever. So good. Um, I learned that there was another wrestling school nearby that was run by uh, Jim Molino, who... I think he was a ref for ECW. So I started training there. And eventually I would start training with uh, SWO out here in York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was basically like I thought it was an unattainable dream when I was younger. And when I was older, it suddenly wasn't. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm not in terrible shape anymore. Like I can just, I can go for it. So I wanted good. to try it. Yeah. And, and you did. Yeah, it. I took to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really so glad good. I did. Yeah, I'm so glad you did too. It's it's so fun for me to imagine. I'm 45 now, will be 46 in a month. So I am long over the days when I thought, well, if I'm not the next usher by age 22, then I'm washed up. Nobody likes somebody 25 or over. That, that That's the mentality that used to 
be in the entertainment industry. I'm sure it still is to some degree. But you had a similar thought about yourself and your potential to be a wrestler. And then you reached a point where you said, no, actually, it doesn't matter that I'm old. In fact, I'm younger than these guys. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. get in Any there. And... That's fantastic. <laughs> so uh, I could just talk to you all day about this. It's so, so interesting. But I've got this giant rotisserie chicken. <laughs> just Sudden up. chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, wait, it's waiting for me close by. So I want to move towards the, the, the final couple of questions. You've wrestled in these independent leagues that have this pardon the 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 pun but they have a spirit to them that has mm-hmm. both more innocence but also more intelligence and like for me a sophistication that i don't get at the wwe level at this point wwe is often really shooting for a broad net not going very deep into anything at any particular time really ridiculous without the heart that it used to have at least for me yeah. and maybe it's just because i know so much about the mcmahons and whatnot that it's it's hard to feel as endeared to them but your brand of wrestling is like a whole other animal than what a lot of people have experienced how do you think that would translate into a game how could we make a game out of the kind of wrestling that you do that would communicate what's so wonderful about it to the video game audience that i'm not sure about like the biggest thing about indie wrestling versus like WWE is that like in indie wrestling, you can take risks and try things out. Whereas WWE, they've got like a TV product and they've got to like, you know, appeal to that lowest common denominator and, mm. you know, make sure that their I guess their money is guaranteed or whatever. I'm, I'm not sure how it works, mm-hmm. but like, I think they've been trying to make like indie video games for wrestling and yeah, there's just there's so many unique personalities and mm. styles and well, types of wrestling. For for the average WWE slash WWF, if you're going back a bit, ECW, WCW game, it was mm. like dudes, muscles, oil, maybe mm-hmm. one woman, stats. So like almost taking the Madden approach to wrestling and then just get in there and whoever can get in there faster and flip the other guy over there's your winner i it it was for me less about the storyline and the emotional experience of wrestling and more about just the technical piece of it so i'm wondering would you see a wrestling game that has some combat that you actually plan out with your partner first And if you like succeed in pulling off the routine you plan, like getting rid of any sort of attempt to make this a game about who can really beat up who and instead like who can put on the best show and maybe like dialogue tree options and costume options. Because I don't know about these indie wrestling games that you've mentioned, but I feel like a lot of them are thinking, oh, we got to be the next eSport. Just in general, indie fighting games, I think, are hoping to be like the next Skullgirls or the next... League of Legends or the next, I think there's one called Dungeon Fighter. There's a lot of little games that you and I have probably never heard of that I look into them and I find out they made like $5 billion last year because they're free to play and they just get their hooks in folks. But they're not so much about the heart and soul of wrestling. They're trying to fit into the mold of what's an already successful video game. 
But I, I feel like the heart and soul of wrestling already could be like an amazing video game with a Metal Gear solid level, complicated, ridiculous plot and like wild, <laughs> extravagant Bayonetta style character designs. Like you could really go bananas with it. Yeah, for sure. And like, God, now I'm like really thinking about this. Yeah, like, really think about it. I guess you'd have to start from whether or not it's coming from like kayfabe or like, you know, trying to make kayfabe work, I guess. Kayfabe? What's kayfabe? Kayfabe is basically like upholding the illusion, oh. I guess. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's what's called a shoot and a work. A shoot is when, you know, it's real. Like mm-hmm. if someone shoot fights you, they're fighting you for real. Right. If someone, you know, if they're in a shoot interview, what they're saying is their actual opinion and they're not in character. Mm-hmm. A work is when you're in character, you're saying and doing the stuff your character would do. And the physicality is, you know, what you rehearsed with the person you're working with. Sure. So from a kayfabe standpoint, the game would be about the competition if we're out of kayfabe, the game would be about that cooperative, like calling the match with your whoever you're wrestling, um, deciding what what storyline you're going to go with, dialogue trees, stuff like that. I think it would be a lot more role playing. I think mm-hmm. as wrestling games like went on, they they got more and more involved in storylines. Like they have much more cinematics because it's become a cinematic experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the games, you'll like, you'll play as your character and you'll fight other people. And then afterwards, it'll show you like the aftermath and vignettes of like, you know, your interactions with people. I have some distinct memories of wrestling game matches, particularly on the N64 that I experienced that uh, I'll never forget. But that's because who I was playing with, it was more about my friends at the time and less about the game. I could have played the exact same match with a different set of friends and it would have been totally unmemorable. I feel like getting that feeling of you're with your friends, even if you don't have friends with you, but the friends are somehow the people you're collaborating with, the in-game characters you're teaming up with in your your federation getting that friendship feeling in there would be would be really key or do or do you think that there's ways to make a wrestling game in 2022 where it's just the the match dynamics that make it really stand out as opposed to the larger narrative and social dynamics that's something i have to like i'll have to think about i'm just throwing you the i'm big, gonna be thinking about that because i'm like the big question it would be just, really cool if we could do that yeah wouldn't it I wonder if it's possible. I'm going to dream about it. Uh, well, that was the, the the big the big question I want to make sure we got to, but it was so fun to just do the get to know you questions. I feel like there's endless other things we could talk about. Is there anything you wanted folks to know before we, we sign off on this one? Let's see. Wrestling is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't do it unless you're trained. Mm-hmm. If you have a chance to follow your dreams, uh, do it. Um, and as long as you're trying, you are light years ahead of anyone who isn't. Well, Kim Spirit, I feel different now. You've you've changed Aww. me with those wonderful parting thoughts. I'm gonna put all the places people can find you in the show notes for this episode. And you stream, yeah. you wrestle, you talk, <laughs> you write, you do it all. People should <laughs> keep up with you. Enjoy Thank this you. Kim Spirit, everybody. It's, it's wonderful stuff. You know, it was nice to talk to you. Likewise.
So when Cam was talking about the heel face turn, something I've thought about for years, it's a wrestling thing, but it's also just a life thing. I was thinking about my own stuff that's happened in this past week. And I guess I'll talk about it now before we kick it over to our next guest, who is just fantastic. It's uh, Sari, who's going to talk about how people are picking on the creator of the Final Fantasy 16, or the, I believe it's the director of it, because he said some stuff that didn't sound so good. Anyway, we'll leave that for the talk with Sari. But I was in a similar situation, sort of, where I suddenly got caught in the middle of a fight I didn't know was happening. Here's what happened. I need to be in very vague terms about this. If you figure out who I'm talking about, please be nice to everybody involved with this story because I don't want anybody being negative to anybody. That's not gonna be helpful in any way. So I'm in no way trying to get someone to get involved in this drama and this fighting that I just accidentally walked into. So here's what happened, Tanya. Okay. And it's like shades of Gamergate. Oh boy. Which is bad shades, bad shades for me, for that to be hanging over my head in any way again, ugh. Uh, you know, I got my bank account hacked. All sorts of stuff happened during the Gamergate, which was not good. That was 2014 now. Jeez. Ancient history, it feels like. But it could come back again. And I was feeling like, ugh, is that what I'm seeing? The shades of coming back again now. So there's this game developer. Mm-hmm. Worked on a game for a long time. Put it out. And the first review, or one of the first reviews of the, the night it came out, I think one of three reviews or so, said it has no new content don't buy it. It did have new content. It was a remake of an older game. It looked similar to the older game, but it has new content. It just doesn't jump out at you. The review said, has no new content. Don't buy it. The developer said, well, uh, okay. And then watched how their sales tanked after that review went out. Similar to how with Eli Lilly and with Lockheed Martin, one tweet goes out saying, Insulin's free, or we're not selling to the Saudi Arabians anymore, and their stock drops. Likewise, if a game didn't have a big launch anyway, not a lot of people were looking at it, the developer of it is extremely humble and didn't promote it at all, <laughs> like really mm. at all, other than his, his Twitter page. So it was already struggling. And the developer said, oh man, uh, this review came out and my sales went from like not great to zero. Now what am I going to do? I guess I'm not going to pursue this game anymore. It's it's completely dead. And I wrote this story for the publication I work for. And all of a sudden, I was in the middle of a fight. The people who were attacking me, apparently they're fans of the guy who wrote the review. And it wasn't a professional review. It was just a fan review mm-hmm. saying, like, don't buy the game. Apparently, he, like, considered this review, like, his writing and felt his writing was attacked because you mentioned something that the reviewer said in your nope, write-up? No, I didn't nope. mention a dang thing. I just mentioned that it was inaccurate when he said that the game had no new content. Oh. But he was super insulted by the thing I wrote. He was super insulted that the developer said, well, people stopped buying my game after a review came out, which they did. And the review said, don't buy this game. So I, let's say you're on Yelp. And there's like three reviews for a restaurant. And somebody writes a review saying, terrible food, uh, roaches on the ground, don't eat here. And then the restaurant does bad afterwards. If you wrote that Yelp review, you'd be like, 
Yeah, that was me. I mean, I spoke my truth. Of course, this review wasn't true because, you know, there was new content in the game, but he didn't know that. He was just goofing around writing reviews on a platform. I'm not going to say where he wrote it. So he doesn't have a responsibility. He's not getting paid to write like a professional quality review. But then he acted like his review was like this golden... Being tarnished. Yeah, and like, oh, I'm not going to go back and edit it and say that the game has new content. Long story short, his fans, after he got upset about what I wrote, tried to get me fired and and sent emails to my bosses, to me, saying that I wrote that article because I'm promoting the game because I'm friends with the game developer and it's a breaching the code of ethics and stuff like that. Are you, but you're not friends with the game developer. No, I, I like him, but I like almost everybody. I'm trying to think of who I don't like. It's a very short list. I mean, if I can't write about games that are have people who I like involved with it, then I can't write about Nintendo games. I can't write about um, Sony games. I can't write about any games. Just because I like a person doesn't mean I am biased towards them and I'm going to like... I mean, if I was really biased towards this guy, I would have reviewed his game and given it a high score, but I didn't because I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't have time to review that. I'm not going to do that. Uh, That would have really helped him, but I didn't really help him. I just wrote about a thing that was happening. Yeah, it almost got me uh, in trouble. Jeez. Now, it's interesting to me because I think about like people making qualitative statements about a product, Mm -hmm. stating their opinion and saying, do this or do that. And then it's up to the audience with what they're actually going to do. Now, in this case, the product was the game Mm -hmm. and the person was saying, this is my opinion of it. Yep. But the person who did the review what is their product? It seems to me like their product is themselves. Uh, yeah. And so if you were to say something like inaccurate statement made in review, you're actually commenting on their own product, which is themselves in well, a way. Yeah, kind of. Uh, and, and it's like, why is it okay for you to do, bro, but not somebody <laughs> to do to you? Well, that's the thing. I'm trying not to be conflict-oriented and upset at this person, even though he was clearly very upset at me and I could not relate with him being upset. He was attacking me writing about a game. He thought what I wrote was all about him. It was like two sentences about him. Mm. It was maybe a thousand words. And if you look for the story, it's been taken down. And I'm relieved for that because I don't need people trying to hack my bank accounts again because I'm trying to blog about video games. I stand by everything I wrote in the story. But it's not worth it to me, just like how I wouldn't go into a high crime neighborhood or any neighborhood in my underwear screaming, punch me in the face. If you put a target on your back and people are after you, just like get rid of the target and get out of that neighborhood. It's not worth it. I wrote a good story. It got me in trouble with strangers who have the power to like hurt my life. So get rid of the story. Not, not, that's not the fight. I'm wanting to fight. But what I do want to talk about, and the reason why, and I wasn't even sure I should talk about it on the show, is talk about what do you do when you're faced with someone who is so sure that they're right and that they're good. They've done some actual damage to people with misinformation and then double down on it. Their friends or followers start attacking people like me who just wrote about the situation. And again... I get that he felt insulted that 
his product, as you put it, Tanya, was being criticized. But but eh. that's life when you're when you're your own product. But it's you pretty gotta, hypocritical, you, right? Like right, he was criticizing totally. the guy's game, and then people criticized his criticism. And yeah, then and that's just life, man. <laughs> I know you're not saying this, Jonathan. Yeah, and I want to be a good friend to you, but it, it has a. And and when I say when I say it's immature, I don't mean like you're so immature. I mean it's just like a little naive in thinking that you won't or shouldn't expect people to have counter opinions to your opinion mm. when you're a public figure. That's just the way it's going to be. And how you weather that storm is how you have longevity, how you get clout, how you have respect, you know, all of those things. Yeah. It's just my professional suggestion, little little uh, career coaching. <laughs> and the thing is, the person who wrote the review, I know that they do other stuff where they make themselves the product. They're definitely trying to sell themselves. One of the reasons I didn't want to name them by name is I don't really want to draw attention to them and have this fight be something they use in order to build their career, because I've seen that happen many times. That's what Gamergate was all about. Several people just built their public speaking slash book tour careers, streaming careers out of just this fight that was mostly fabricated and and certainly not something we should have given that much heart and soul to, people being upset that, geez, Gamergate was very upsetting, don't get me wrong, but the, the complaints were that a video game blog might have not disclosed that the writer of a blog was friends with someone who made a video game once. Like it doesn't, yeah. it was not something worth sending death threats and, and having the whole. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Yeah. And there's a lot of really big shit that's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, there's just is. Yeah. So I know it's dismissive to say video game blogging is not that important. I've been doing it for 12 years. I clearly, no, 14 years. I clearly enjoy it, but it's just not worth trying to hurt people over. It's just not. Video games are not more important than people. So don't hurt people because you're upset about a video game thing. That's just not what you should do. And enough out of me about that. Yeah, pretty, good chat though. Good, yeah, pretty good chat. Sari has much more succinct, thoughtful... opinions and thoughts, perspectives about how video game developers recently harshly criticized for their thoughts about diversity inclusion in Final Fantasy 16. And she and I talked for a while and could have talked for even longer about how to do this right, how to do this wrong, and where your heart should be in this discussion. We'll kick it on over to Sari. Oh, Sari! Yeah, coming back! So I'm back again with Sari. So excited. It's been so long. Last time we talked about World of Warcraft, if I remember correctly. Yes, and how you shouldn't play it, even though I have been for 18 years now. But yeah. (laughs) So you know fantasy, you know fantasy games. You've thought about them for a long time. You are, in fact an instructor of character design and illustration and teach people how to make fantasy characters. Do I have that right? Yes. Fantasy characters, worlds. Yeah. Pretty neat. And you said something to me that was so interesting on Twitter that I immediately asked you if you would 
Well, not immediately. Three or four tweets later. <laughs> and then it dawned on me. Yes, you've got to have Sari back on the show about a recent interview that the creator, or I believe it's the producer of the new Final Fantasy 16 game that's coming out soon, said about diversity. So thanks for coming on to talk about that. Oh, I always enjoy being on your podcast and talking to you. So anytime. Oh, that means a lot. So let's preface this with a little bit more preface before we move into the, <laughs> the meat of the talk. You also did a wonderful illustration that nobody but me and like three other people have seen of the main character of a video game called Axiom Verge 2. And the main character of that game happens to be from South Asia. And before that, because I only showed you like pixels of the character and you couldn't tell exactly what she looked like, you thought she might actually have been from Africa. So you did this initial illustration that is so beautiful. Like I, I've actually asked the creator of Axiom Verge to like make this a real character, like oh. make it the Wario to the Mario of the actual main character of the game. And he's like, maybe. So who knows? Maybe you'll you'll be in the credits of Axiom Verge 3. It's possible. So you did this illustration for an upcoming issue of Lock On issue five, which is in production right now, a print magazine. And it shows, to me anyway, like a loving understanding of how to illustrate people of color in a way that is different and is sort of like you embody a respect for the differences without making them cartoonish, which is something yeah. I think a lot of people struggle to do. If I am trying to write or illustrate a woman, I might, if I suck at it, make it like she's got big boobs and she loves to shop, yeah. you know, because I like don't know yeah. what it's like to be a woman. So I just go with the stereotypes. You avoided all of that and still didn't make it look like a white person either. You 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 nailed it. And so I know that this is something you are good at and passionate about. And yet when this interview <laughs> with the producer or its director, I can't remember, uh, Naoki Yoshida of Final Fantasy 16 came out, that is just getting... Oh, he's getting roasted. I just Googled it. Rock, paper, shotgun says Final Fantasy 16 producer said everything wrong. It said every wrong thing when then dot, dot, dot. I'm not going to read the whole uh, headline because I'd have to click on it while I'm talking to you. Another YouTuber said Final Fantasy 16 racist. Yoshida's response to Final Fantasy 16's lack of diversity in an interview fits the isolated nature of this realm. So he's getting roasted because he said in an interview with IGN that the game, Final Fantasy 16, is not going to feature a lot of people of color because, number one, they're trying to make it uh, like a European-style fantasy world mm. from the olden days when there weren't a lot of people of color in Europe, which those claims are more or less debunked. But anyway, and yeah. also, <laughs> and this was the key part, I thought, he said, and also if we do it wrong, that's not going to go over well, in so many words. And, and that was the part that really stuck out for me. And yeah. I was disappointed that the game's not going to have much diversity. I am actually less interested in it for that reason, because I'm not going to see myself in any of these characters in terms of surface level stuff. And also my understanding of their uh, experience with race and whatnot. And also it's, I'm just bored of white guy with sword, but, yeah. but you came, I don't want to say to the defense because that's overdramatic, but you had a very empathetic look at that interview. And I wanted to hear more about that from you now. Yes, definitely. So 
they the first bit about oh it's medieval Europe I just discard that because you know it's been debunked so it doesn't really <laughs> matter you know we we always hear that one um yeah. but the the second half is something that I think is a conversation that we we really do need to have about um representation and diversity because you said something as well um I think it was that you think only accepting perfection mm. can hinder progress and diversity and that's something I really 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 agree with mm. um so like I said to you um I'm half Chinese half Asian myself um mm. the other half is Mediterranean Spanish so uh I and I live in I live in the UK and I have a name that no one can say <laughs> you know <laughs> so I don't experience the same thing that I would say you know uh, most POC do at all I really don't because I look mm. pretty white enough you know and I speak with an English accent and um but it does give me some level of understanding about constantly feeling like cultures you belong to don't get represented at all mm -hmm. um so the first thing is I do always push for um diversity and stuff because I think even just from like a very cold world building only perspective your world comes across really small if you mm. only have like one single ethnicity of people in it it doesn't make it feel like a world it kind of makes it feel like you've focused in on like a town mm. when you're trying to make it like a big global project you know sure the other thing and the, i guess the meat of this which is it's it's hard to talk about it um i think that we I've hit a point in it's not just games it's kind of all media all um the ways we even cook speak languages express ourselves faith religion you know mm. we're really hitting this point where we say um well if this is something that's owned or uh not owned but i would say this piece of culture mm -hmm is associated with people from this ethnicity or this background should people from other ethnicities be the ones spearheading it should they be the ones who are money from it should they be you know it's a cultural appropriation conversation mm. and every single person you talk to will have a different answer for you and what is cultural appropriation and what isn't right sure. so i want to ignore when people say like, oh, I don't want to put diverse characters in because then the OG fanboys will be angry. Like, mm. we need to work past that, right? Mm. Like, <laughs> that we would be on that conversation. That conversation has happened. Most people are happy to see it. You know, there's something to be said for uh, when people say, oh, I, I really wish it would stick to the original source material where this character was this, you know, looked like this. Mm. And I want it to stay that way. I don't think all of those people are racist or bigoted, but I do think that people who are racist and bigoted use that as an excuse uh, to not look yeah. <laughs> racist and bigoted, right? Yeah. Like there would be characters they didn't even know were supposed to look a certain way and they will just come out of the closet and find a way to hate uh, diversity or change. So the, the main meat of what we're talking about is, is it okay for someone who isn't really a POC, you know, kind of, but not really, like me, to be making these characters, to be creating them, and also to be telling new students that they should be doing it, you know, like, mm. there's definitely going to be people who wouldn't like me doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but then 
even though I do say you should be doing it, we need more diversity in media, people, representation is so important. Like, um, you know, even like you said, it makes you want to play it less. There's not mm -hmm. going to be anybody who you feel like represents you in it and you don't really want to play it. And, you know, every studio is basing their stories off um, historical events and stuff. And there's so many incredible, interesting, fascinating cultures, histories, mythologies from around the world that we just sorely miss out on constantly mm -hmm. because nobody makes media about those things and they should. Mm -hmm. You know, how many more times do I have to look at a castle? I mean, probably loads. I really like them, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same, you know, same kind of theme all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely, yeah. absolutely right. And with this new Final Fantasy game it's, uh, on the cusp of coming out, my understanding is the bulk of the production crew is Japanese. Yeah. But they're making it about a pseudo-European people. Uh, yeah, and I, I can't remember what the name of the country is at this point, but it has like a European-ish name. Mm -hmm. It's got European-ish dragons, and Final Fantasy has always, in my experience anyway, been about kind of a commingling of Western Dungeons and Dragons type stuff with sudden like robots or anime influenced stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it's always been a cultural mishmash, which I like. But in this interview, it sounded. Like he didn't even say, and there'll be like one character who looks like they're Japanese or something. It was like purely, we are Japanese people going to make this game about European people. Mm. And also we're trying to avoid diversity. So for me, it was like a double strikeout in a way because he couldn't say, well, we just don't want to do it wrong by another race, ethnicity, nationality. We wouldn't we wouldn't dare make a story about people and take that story away from them. Yeah, they're they're making it about, you know, white people, but they're not white, but they won't put uh, yeah. people who aren't white in it. Like even people, yeah. even <laughs> they Asians, they Japanese won't put in it. people in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't. And you could chalk it up to just if you just said we are super interested in our understanding of Europe we're going to do our best to make a story about Europeans, even though we're not Europeans. I would be like, yeah. weird, but I get it. It's got some <laughs> yeah. some authenticity. It's when he said like, but if we do diversity wrong, we'll get in trouble. It made it sound yeah. like he was thinking, if we put a group in the lead who is not discriminated against very much, and I know some white folks would agree with me on this, uh, Kanye West might disagree with me on this because <laughs> he's got a brain on him that I don't agree with or understand. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you make it about white people, like diversity and racism is just not going to be a part of the conversation, which, again, inherently yeah. makes it more boring to me. Um, yeah. Ironically, one of the most interesting games I've played and people disagree with me on this, but the creator of Final Fantasy made a game called The Last Story which for me functions as a Final Fantasy game and everything but name. And race is like a lot of what it ends up being about. And it's yeah. really, it, it's clunky, but it at least tries to be about more than just guy with sword, fight dragon, save my son <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so like, it was like he was announcing, we're not going to try to be interesting. And we also don't care about diversity. And yet, sorry, you still had empathy for him. Tell me, tell me about that yeah. piece where you read it and were like, I get it though. I get yeah. why he might feel this way. 
I do. I said to you, I was teaching students recently um, about character design specifically, and <laughs> whether it was a good idea or not, I chose to uh, answer questions and stuff in a Discord afterwards. Oh, <laughs> so wow. everyone went a bit crazy. They just, you know, they're so used to being in Discord, those teenagers. Um, today. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not too long off being a kid today, but I still feel like kids today. You know, I'm still in my 20s, but uh, I oh, do that's feel... Fun. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm aging. <laughs> but yeah. um, and, you know, they, their main worry was they initially started saying basically uh, what this man was saying. That, mm. no, I don't want to, I'm not touching that. Like, no, it's easier for me and it's easier for everyone if I either do something directly from what is my ethnicity mm. or... Um, I, I just use European stuff because European stuff is such a baseline for fantasy that no one cares if you get it wrong. And it's true, they don't. Europeans don't really care. They don't. Mm. Like, their their mythology is so worldwide that, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's obviously very significant cultural <laughs> reasons why Europeans um, shouldn't mind so much as well. Uh -huh. But they, they don't, right? They just don't. And I would say quite a lot of uh, Asian cultures don't mind so much either anymore. Mm -hmm. um because mainly because we get so much media in games and stuff from japan china uh you know so that has started to become so widespread to a point where it doesn't really matter if people get it right i mean disney reached mulan and it was like so full of inaccuracy <laughs> but you know it did well and there was some kind of you know this wasn't right this was right but you know it wasn't like a huge backlash if you yeah i don't it. remember i remember people saying this is bad but i don't remember anyone saying like this is explicitly racist it was just no. like wrong whereas and i think this is where you're going i actually have an example right off the top of my head and it's a weird one there was recently a comic book where they took the modern spider-man miles morales who is uh biracial i, I believe he's black Afro latino and, uh, yeah that's right Afro latino yeah. and they made him captain america they made him thor and the writer yeah. of the comic that made him Thor had him like quoting MC Hammer while he was holding Thor's hammer. That's and fun. <laughs> it was, That's it was cool. <laughs> it, you know, I almost bought it because it was so over the top. But but what they did was they pandered so hard. Like he mm. practically looked at the viewer and said, did you know I'm black? Oh, no. Did you know I, can, I, I live in a oh. black neighborhood? <laughs> Look oh, at my no. neighborhood, black people, you know, like, he didn't, oh, yeah, yeah. It, they laid it on so thick that it came off. People yeah. called it racist, not because it said anything negative about black people, but no. because it was so pandering and inaccurate. I mean, it's tokenism, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, Perfect yeah. word for it. It was extreme tokenism. And if you do that, if you, let's say they do it wrong in Final Fantasy 16 and have one black character who looks at the camera and said, you notice the color of my skin? Not too pink. <laughs> what do you think, guys? Dark skin. Then, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then there are, like, they will be accused of racism despite yes. there being no ill will, no actual derogatory aspects to it, but just the pure tokenism can get you in pretty big trouble with people these days. Yeah, like celebrating a minority, but putting them on a pedestal to the point mm. where it's really creepy is like, it feels racist, right? It yeah. just does, even if that wasn't your intention. And I think that when you're designing a character, right, especially inexperienced designers, right? Like if anybody listening to this or you, Jonathan, I don't know how long 
or if you've ever been on sites like um, Tumblr or DeviantArt and see oh. the artwork that comes off those sites, like you see a lot of very well-intentioned, very sweet young artists trying to make characters that are diverse, but it kind of ends up with the character having a list of 37 different um, marginalized things about them. And they kind of start to come off as very unrealistic and kind of like you've made the character to look like you care kind of thing, you know? <laughs> right. So that's a, a massive pitfall, like young concept artists, character designers fall into. You know, they want someone to be representative of every marginalized group all at once because they do, They it, it probably is because they do genuinely care. They've probably right. seen even one of my lectures that bangs on and on about how like um, we only have like, big white males or hot white female and you know mm -hmm. and they've thought okay i don't want to do this then you're right like that's bad i'm sick of just seeing that and uh <laughs> they go too far the other way and you're right it comes across as tokenism but the example that they gave me and i don't know exactly who this artist is so if anyone listening remembers um there was a artist on tumblr who is kind of uh, fell foul to what I'm talking about. I think there were only about 14 or 15. Oh my goodness. Um, and they tried to uh, make a black OC, which is original character. They were like young, white, uh, apparently American. Um, you know, and I know that uh, racism is everywhere, but I would say it can be more volatile in the US at the moment, right? Discussions mm -hmm. on racism. And they drew a character and uh, they hadn't done it intentionally, but the way that they lit the character had kind of really lightened up this character's skin tone. Oh, they yeah, tried yeah. to put like loads of highlight on the cheeks and stuff and make it like sparkly, and you know, that kind of thing. But it had made the character look like very light skin. The features were more, uh, I would say... Uh, I'm trying to think of the, the word. Uh, I know. It's hard to pick the right words, right, without accidentally also sounding racist. Like how much yeah. we have to worry about sounding racist is so telling just in our conversation. Yeah. Uh, and how much making a whole video game and worried about that looking racist. Like the, yeah. just the way you're talking about it shows how we should have more empathy towards game developers making multi-million dollar games who are like, I just want to avoid any chance of anyone calling me racist on this and and un misunderstanding me and tanking the project. Uh, yeah. Two for one. But yeah, the, the word I think you're looking for is around, do you want to say how... I want to say it was like a caricature rather than oh. um, what I would describe as just a natural features. Yep. You know? Um, and then the the hair they had definitely tried to make like locks but it just kind of it didn't really work um but this person they they genuinely without irony posted this artwork you know it wasn't some troll account they've been posting artwork for years of them mm. getting better trying different characters and um you know they were bullied so harshly they got doxxed they oh had God. their private, they're a minor, you know, they had their private information shared. Um, and anyone who was on Tumblr, say, like five years ago knows that this was pretty dang common, right? Really? So when I'm on your US podcast, I have to not swear. People in this country swear constantly. So if I, I'm pausing, it's oh, because no. I've remembered that I'm not supposed to swear. You can swear all but, you want. <laughs> oh, can I? Yeah. <laughs> um, they, it, was, it was pretty pretty bad what happened to this uh, girl. Yeah. Right? Um, 
And there were people quoting this in this Discord I was in saying like, yeah, I'd rather avoid that. Thanks very much. Um, you know, I am too scared. I'm terrified. I don't want to be cancelled. And I know I hate the word cancelled because like, mm. <laughs> often it's just used to mean your actions have had consequences, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But um, it, we definitely also can mean let's bully this person to doing maybe even doing something to hurt themselves right mm. like we have that power right now on the internet and it's always used poorly right no one with any <laughs> kind of big following it's something is always gonna uh, somebody's always gonna be picked on for having a different opinion or making a mistake or it's just the way the internet works right now and yeah. i i understand why there's people who might listen to this and think, well, just, you know, do it, like deal with it. Like, you know, we need more diversity and it's your job. So just do it. Mm. Um, but I do understand why people want to avoid it. And then I want to say, like, if, if it was my place, <laughs> I would say we should care about the intent of an artist. I know, I know people hate hearing that as well. Like we should care about intent because even, you know, intent is irrelevant if something is harmful, right? Which is mm. true. And is irrelevant if something you do is harmful, you still have to apologize, you still have to take responsibility for the damage caused. But I genuinely think we are, and this is not just based off my artwork or my own presumption, it's based on the fact that I teach, you know, lots of people who are in that Gen Z zone. I mean, I'm a cursed zillennial, but you know, the people who are in that kind of middle of the Gen Z zone, um, the people who kind of dominate the more popular social medias like TikTok and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those people are so worried about not doing things perfectly or doing things right that they are avoiding the conversation altogether. Mm -hmm. Really, that's a net loss, right? Mm. Because the majority of people who are making games, making media, like, you know, for better, well, not for better or worse, it's worse, right? They're all, <laughs> they're, they're usually uh, white or um a lot of the times they're east asian and um you know we are missing the perspective of so many cultures but mm. is it is it realistic to then say that only people from those cultures should be able to make that media and i i don't i don't think it is i think we're going to end up losing so many stories um because we've created an environment where if stuff isn't perfect it shouldn't exist and mm -hmm. i don't think it's ever gonna make progress a good thing or happen even <laughs> yeah it is so interesting what i'm taking from your summation is if you want progress if you are a progressive do not personally attack and assume intent negatively about someone who tries and fails to depict a minority character in in fiction because that will lessen progress the whole intent thing saying good intentions uh, don't save you likewise assuming bad intentions isn't fair either step yeah. away from even thinking about intention and that's what racism is about is intending either through conscious or subconsciously to depict people in a derogatory negative stereotyping way if you can't be sure that was the intention just talk about what could have been better about the art and for yeah. me anyway as a as a bald mixed race weird guy i will take what i can get like when i was a kid 
there was only one guy who kind of looked like me on TV. And it was this character, Ricky, on a show called My So-Called Life. And wow. I was like, thank you, Ricky, for, for being like the one <laughs> light brown, sort of effeminate, weird uh, outcast guy but then his life just sucks he's he's oh, no. always sad he like gets kicked out of his house oh, the the it's raining on him constantly he's got a total <laughs> charlie brown life and i was like well it would be nice to show him also have joy but we gotta start <laughs> yeah. somewhere right like this is yeah. the best so so when people try please criticize but without throwing the baby out with the bathwater we only yeah. get progress through steps. We can't jump to the end where diversity is depicted and and created in the perfect way by the perfect artists. We've we've got to be kind to people on their way up. Yeah, I I would just say like don't always go with like the worst faith intent that you can yeah. possibly think of like um as a general rule too. I mean, you know, you're going to know after like one reply if this person does want to improve if they were actually had good intentions or not you could literally just say hey do you know that you made this person's skin tone really light or mm. you know do you know that the hair isn't quite like how i would draw a lock like do you want to try this and if this person responds with oh thank you then you know that they they were trying if they respond with like oh no mine's fine it's fine the way it is i don't want to do it then either they don't want to learn or they don't care yeah in which point i would just say stop interacting with them mm. because the more you interact with them the more engagement it gets and the more people see it anyway so even if it was a bad faith you just kind mm. of boosting it right <laughs> like yeah block that person don't interact ignore them get on with your day and definitely support creators who are from underrepresented cultures but also just support diversity in artwork because if you don't support it you won't get it i know that's a real oversimplification but it's it's true yeah it's absolutely yeah. true i'm gonna see wakanda forever no interest in it but it's the only superhero movie i've ever seen where like everyone on the cover is a black woman so mm. gotta go and i'm sure it'll be good uh, but I am voting with my money on this one. I want that movie to do as well as Captain Marvel or Ant-Man or whatever. So, just so I get yeah. more of that. That's what I want. And yeah. what I want is you to come on the show anytime you want. Sorry, you're just such a marvelous speaker Aww. and guest. I'm so grateful you were able to take the time today. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, I, I love talking to you about stuff. And um I probably come across as way more blunt on Twitter than I am in real life. It's just because I'm bad at like using emojis and stuff. No, I just you're, write. You're, you're constantly, <laughs> you were explaining to me, I was like, oh, the queen died. Why is everyone making a big deal out of it? You're like, Jonathan, you need to be empathetic. Yeah. Like for some people, it was a big for... deal. Yeah, yeah. You're always so good at kindly and intelligently putting me in my place. And I, I, oh, I, no. I I don't mean to. In a, in a wonderful I mean, way. Just, uh, you know, I I didn't care, but uh, there might be old people who were really upset. Yeah, you know? exactly. Why not be empathetic? If you had a t-shirt you wore every day, I think it would say, yeah. well, why not be empathetic on it? Because it's the way to live. And I could go on about you for a long time, but I'm going to, instead, because the Zoom call is going to be <laughs> over in four minutes, I'm going to sign off. Thanks so much for being on. You're very, very welcome. And thank you for having me. Final Fantasy, there's no bills and war.
fun to talk with Sari. Such a such a bright shining light, such a smart person, so excited for people to see her art in Lock On issue number 5. I actually have to do the interview with the Axiom Verge developer. I've got that scheduled for December. Lock On 5, Lock On 4 is just getting mailed out now. If you ordered it, get ready, it's coming to your mailbox. Well, uh, I'm excited to show it to you, Tanya. It's coming soon. It doesn't look the way I thought it was going to. It's even better, even bigger. When but- you say mailbox, <laughs> Yes. I just have to pause. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm thinking about back in the day, getting all excited, coming home from school, walking down to the end of the driveway, opening up that mailbox. Or if you live in an apartment complex like I do now, you're going down to the place, you're putting your key in the thing, you're opening up. Yeah. You mean your actual email inbox, don't you? I meant your mailbox. Like your physical mailbox? It's a, I should have, I just assume everyone's thinking about lock-on all the time like I am. Let me explain what lock-on is. Physical book calls itself a magazine, but I think this issue is 280 pages, so that is not a magazine. Hardcover, it's not a magazine, it's a book. It's an art book with original essays, interviews, artwork. This is the way, the one where I interviewed Steph Sterling about oh, yeah. their relationship with Deadly Premonition and also like an 8,000 word interview with six people who work at Yacht Club Games working on Mina the Hollower and the Shovel Knight series. So long in development. I think I did those interviews in like April. Thankfully, they all still make sense. Life hasn't changed so much that those interviews are no longer relevant. And uh, they're coming to your mailbox soon. So I'm excited about that. Another fun thing that happened in, in my world I connected the character designer for Parappa, the rapper, and I'm Jammer Lammy with Caspian Whistler, this wonderful man that I've known for, geez, about a decade now, who makes another giant book magazine video game thing called A Profound Waste of Time. Wow. And that connection bore fruit. Bore it. <laughs> bore the fruit. <laughs> Just bear that fruit. Bear down on this fruit. There's going to be a Parappa the Rapper pin for the next issue of A Profound Waste of Time, an original new piece of artwork by the designer that has A-P-W-O-T. Took me a little while. A Profound Waste of Time Mm. on his hat now. So cool. And there's an interview with him by um, Kyle Bossman, I think, who I didn't know. But I just emailed him out of nowhere and was like, hey, Kyle, you want to interview the uh, maker of uh, the Parappa the Rapper design? He's like, do I? And uh, then they all did it. Wow. It's going to be I a book thing. I didn't know you knew the people that made I kind of don't. I just cold emailed them. Like, I, I had talked to Rodney Greenblatt, the character designer for Parappa the Rapper, a decade ago. I don't think he remembered me, but he just cold, him, cold emailed, hey, Rodney. You want a free issue of Profound Waste of Time? Oh, sure. And he reads it. Oh, this is beautiful. Hey, you want to be interviewed in there? You want to make a pin? And here it is. Caspian. Wow. Caspian. Look at you. I, okay. As I was saying it, I was regretting it because I did like three emails. Caspian is the one who actually did the 
thing that made it good. Yeah. So thank you, Caspian. Very excited. Back that on Kickstarter now. It's already well made its money as far as I know, but these pins, these books, Labor of Love by Caspian. He's been working on them for a long time. He gets so stressed and sad and is like, I'm never going to get through it. He's like, he's British. He's like, oh, uh, I'm never going to do it good enough. I'm so sorry, readers. And then he makes like the best stuff. His pain gets turned into like the best work. So thank you, Caspian. That's awesome. Yeah, he's so sweet. You know, he's a so lot of times the best work does come out of pain. Yeah, and that's not to say we should glorify pain. If you can make <laughs> great work without being in pain, good for you. But if you are in pain, something you can do with that is is take that emotion, take that experience and and create with it. So... And that's what uh, that game I was talking about before, when I was going on and on and on. I'm giving hints about what it is, but the game is all about being in like so much anxiety and depression and pain. And it's like semi-autobiographical. The guy who made it is like really anxious and depressed. So, so way to, way to just be a dick. (laughs) Sorry, I... That's that's coming from I, me, not Jonathan. Nobody was a dick necessarily. None of these people knew each other in real life. I bet if the all the parties involved, myself included, got in a room for like 10 minutes and talked about our feelings, we would all be like hugging and high-fiving afterwards. But when you're online, you just type a bunch of stuff and forget that it's another person on the other end, and it's not, it's not good. That's why I say if an email goes back and forth more than three times, you got to get on the horn. Yeah, get on the horn. Make that call. Make that call. Yeah, make that change. Yeah, yeah. Figure it out. Figure it out together. Get together Unless you're on texting. It. Unless you're texting, because then if you're texting, you could just keep going back and forth forever. <laughs> but the email. But the email. When you wrote the email, you... With you... a greeting and a signature. Oh, yeah. Just closing the loop, circling back. Just wanted yeah. to check your bandwidth on this um, so we can pivot. After your bandwidth is assessed, we're going to pivot and then close the loop. Yeah. That's the business email. <laughs> You're not even laughing about so it anymore. So painful. <laughs> you have to do those emails all the time in your job. Uh, I'm also writing for the next issue of Nintendo Force. We just started on it. I did a comic about non-specific action figure figuring out his bald baldness. And that's it's very autobiographical. And I also just reviewed Bayonetta 3 for it. And I'm going to write a bunch of other stuff about it too. So I guess that's it for me that's it for you yeah thanks for listening everybody hope to, uh, hope you come back next time we've been Please. a little punchy tonight yeah. I feel uh, like it's like it a little wild a little wild a little punchy a little, little uh, unpredictable hopefully listenable but you know what if you go on our YouTube or our, or our iTunes or wherever we are and you leave the, the meanest review saying I listened to two minutes it sucked no new content <laughs> hated every second of they it. They did an intro again. God. <laughs> I'm going to welcome you with open arms, negative reviewer. And I'm going to say to each their own, because I think my show is pretty darn good. So thanks for trying it's pretty it. darn good too, John. Yeah, thanks, John. And thank you for listening, everyone. Take care, everybody. Bye. Talking to Women About Video Games is hosted by Jonathan and Tanya, with editing and production by Daniel. Music by Jonathan and Daniel. You can support the show and get exclusive bonuses on Patreon at patreon.com slash T-T-W-A-V. Thanks for listening. Dudes, muscles, oil, maybe one woman, woman to dream about. Dudes, muscles, oil, maybe.
baby. One, two, I'm a dream Dream the 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 dream the